Hi. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good to see you. Nice to see you again, yes. I'm going to get ready and we'll be back. Hi. Morning. Morning.
So Teresa, I heard the last time that you did a yoga teacher training with Sneaky. Are you teaching yoga? Oh, no, not yet. I'm almost done um, oh, with you, the training. Oh, you're doing yeah. it right now. Yeah, I'm still doing it. She does um, self-study yoga teacher training, which is nice mm -hmm. because um, you can move at your own pace and um, take as much time as you need to absorb the material. Wow. Because it's really, um, the, the training can be really dense with um, philosophy as well as learning the postures and then the anatomy portion. So you do yeah. online or you do in person? That's the study part. So is it online? Um, it's both. Um, everything you read through the material and then the, the anatomy portion is done online. And then Nikki has workshops that are posted um, through her website to do as well. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. Hello, everyone. Hey, Nikki. Hello. Hey, how is everybody doing? Good. Good. All right. I lost track of time and I was like, oh no, it's 11.03. Um, you guys can hear me okay? Yes. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I um, had just applied a face mask, so I'm going to keep the camera <laughs> off or else I might scare you guys. Um, oh, I was just What's that? Oh, I love face masks. They're always... Oh, yeah. It's, I just, it's, I was just doing things around the house. I was folding laundry, and I was like, I'm going to put a face mask on. And then I just looked at the clock, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm supposed to be on my Zoom call. So um, how was your last five chapters? I highlighted the most. Uh. Good. I then expect you to share all your highlights with us. <laughs> it's basically a whole page of 182. Oh, my goodness. I had a lot of highlights, too, actually, in this chapter. Yeah. Let yeah. me get my book out. All right. So what we'll do is similar to what we've done before, kind of just going through each chapter. I'll do a little brief little summary and then um, unless anybody else wants to volunteer to do 16, going once, going twice, all right, let's see, I will do it. I just have to get my little cheat sheet out really quick. Every time I think about summarizing the chapters, it's kind of challenging because there's just so much information in the chapter itself. <laughs> I hear you. I know. Like, it I, is a lot. I, summarize. I mean, I could right? pick like bits and pieces that call out to me, but yeah. Well, yeah, I like, probably leave out quite a bit too when I do my summary, but here's what I wrote for 16. So Yukteswar is explaining astrology to Mukunda here, who has avoided it since he had pr previously declined the three arranged marriages based on an astrological reading he had a while back, I guess. And Master Yukteswar tells him that only charlatans have brought ancient disciplines into ill repute, or like kind of like fakers, um, explaining that a child is born under celestial rays in certain mathematical harmony with his individual karma. And then he goes on to talk about metals and jewels emitting 
astral light that can counteract negative pulls on the planets. And Yukteswar is concerned here about Mukunda's liver and wants him to wear this astrological bangle. Um, he also explains the concept of Adam and Eve here very differently than I had ever heard it before. Mm -hmm. so I'm sure some of you might agree. Um, when humans were created with the potential to reach God consciousness, they were given all of the other sensibilities to enjoy as well. And there was no need to resort to the inferior form of procreation. However, once they succumbed to sex, they lost their consciousness of their immortality and placed themselves under the physical law by which bodily birth must be followed by bodily death, plunging humanity into the duality of oppositional forces of Maya. But it's now our responsibility to individually restore our dual nature to a unified harmony or Eden. Um, and then I have a note saying, but this wasn't bad. This was the plan all along because this was how God's intention was to, was to be to have, um, the experience of self through experiencing everything that wasn't self. Um, astrology being a concept that is valid in this chapter. So I don't know how many of you go into astrology. I've played around with it. I'm no expert. Um, and it, it seems like a bit of a guessing game to me sometimes when you start looking into it. But I do believe even prior to like my understanding of this book that there, there is some kind of play on our lives that is astrological. Um, I just, I don't, I'm no expert in it. And it kind of says that in order to really make sense of it, you'd have to be like a guru. So um, kind of like the gist I get is like, don't really over um, burden yourself with astrology stuff, because ultimately, no matter what it reads, we all do have our own, um, our own will. So no matter what we hear is in our stars, um, it can be changed by our willpower. Um, so not getting too swept up in it. Also, let's see what else I have here. I have little notes. Just there's mention of karma in this chapter. We've talked a little bit about that, um, cause and effect, um, about how one can karmically atone for negative actions through thought, introspection, apologizing for a bad thought and not dwelling on things you've done. Um, about a little bit about how like the push and pull of karma works. So if you push on a pencil, it pushes back now, but on the universal plane, if you push, it pushes back later. And I have a note saying, you know, think of airplanes lined up waiting to land on the runway. Um, it's that kind of idea that, you know, our karmas are all lined up waiting to be delivered, um, after the fact. So, um, Ways we can mitigate karma, we can pray, we can meditate, we can um, use our own willpower. It does say we have soul power to change our, our path. And then astrological bangles are a minor, maybe part of that too. Um, we obviously can't remember the past, so um, we don't get hung up on our past karmas. It's said that if we did remember everything we did from our past lifetimes, we would be mortified and embarrassed and overwhelmed by memories that could crush us. So there's a reason we don't have the memory of our past lives, but we hang on to the karmas that are still coming around in this life. All right. So there's my summary. Um, 
Anything you guys wanted to talk about in this chapter or point out or any of your highlights that I didn't mention? I really liked his interpretation of um, the Adam and Eve. Yeah, that's definitely one I had not heard. Right. It's, it's pretty, um, yeah, it's, it makes it a little bit more, as symbolic as it is, it makes it a little bit more um, um, easier to understand that whole story, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And especially from like a yogic standpoint, like we're all yogis. So we're reading this kind of like with this understanding of how it all is. And it's, it just makes sense to me. I just, I like mm -hmm. it this way. This, the story itself, you know, you kind of read stories and you're like, is it true? Is it symbolic? What does it mean? And I know there's lots of interpretations out there, but also I really like this one too. Well, I, I came up with a question when I was reading this chapter um, on 182, uh, page 182. It, um, it says that uh, the message boldly blazing across the heavens at the moment of birth is not meant to emphasize fate, but to arouse man's will to escape from his universal world on. That was kind of eye-opening to me because to me it's like fate is fate, you know, no matter what you do, either good or bad, it's going to happen. But in this mm -hmm. chapter, it kind of tells you that actually it can be changed. But then mm -hmm. I was like, do you have to be like a guru level to make it happen? Or can I apply that in my life, you know, or I have, I I'm not that level to do that. And do I have to accept the fate or that was the um, In my interpretation of that, I would say, um, see, and, and if you keep reading, he, he says, what he has done, he can undo. None other than himself was the investigator of the cause of whatever effects are now prevalent in his life. He can overcome any limitation because he created it by his own actions in the first place. And because he possesses spiritual resources that are not subject to planetary pressure. So I would say just on what we've read thus far, I, I would say that just, you know, your practice of continuing to be a seeker and meditating and being aware of your reactions, cause and effect in your life now, um, that, that possibly you could start to work through some of the the fates that are in your stars, I guess. Hmm. Um, and I think that's a big lesson in this chapter in the next few, because we see a lot of situations where like, there might've been like, um, like something was going to happen, but because of someone's maybe awareness or consciousness towards signs or universal messages, or they're listening to their guru or not listening to their guru, the fate was changed. Like Sri Yukteswar in one chapter had taken on, um, I can't remember his name and had, you know, said like, oh, you're going to end up, you know, failing or dying of a disease, but maybe you can do this instead and change your fate. And like, I don't think he listened. We're, we'll get into that chapter. Remember, he didn't get the sapphires or something and, and it ended up being too late, but then Sri Yukteswar allowed him a little bit more time. And, and so it, it kind of just shows us that like nothing is set in stone. Right. Um, and if you're willing to kind of like work with it and be aware of it versus just go through life unconsciously, like doing the things that are 
probably foreseen in your stars, then you probably would walk that path that is most likely when someone were to say like, oh, they're born at this time and this is their fate. But I say the more you wake up, the less likely you have to follow that path and you can sort of um, be more aware. So. But the, the next question comes up because you don't get to meet this level of guru in your life. You know, it, it, it's rare thing. So most of people don't know or don't have the um, advice that, oh, you shouldn't be doing that or, you know. True. You yeah. Well, so, gurus are, there's, they're out there. I've been told by this teacher who had, you know, gone to all of the sources for the answers that I was taught with him. They are out there. It's a, like I had said before, it's a business. So you have to have a lot of discrimination when looking for a guru to make sure you find someone that's a true guru. Um, but also remember the guru doesn't have to be in the body in this lifetime either. It, your guru could be Jesus. Your guru could be Muhammad. Your guru could be Yogananda. Your guru could be Sri Yukteswar. Um, so it doesn't have to be that there's someone living in the body, but I understand you're saying having someone that you're following, like Mukunda has Sri Yukteswar saying like, oh, you should wear this bangle, you know, like we, we obviously don't have that, but um, if you, they say, if you are looking for that kind of guidance, you'll find it. You just have to be open to it. It's kind of like, what is it? The saying, um, when you start to look, they appear, the answers appear and the guru will, the teacher will show up. So, I mean, if that's something that you feel called to, you could start looking into it, but um, you could also find a guru that's, you know, not in the body as well. Thank you. Yeah. Anyone else have any comments? Alrighty, let's see. If I had anything. It does also talks about the yugas. Do you see that? I think that was in this chapter. Yeah, the yugas being the different times, um, us currently being in the Dwapara Yuga, which is a 2,400-year period of electrical and atomic energy developments, um, ages of telegraphy, radio, airplanes, and other space annihilators. <laughs> That's on page 187. And then the next period being the Tetra Yuga, and then following that, the Satya Yuga. Um, so we're on, I guess, an, an ascending yuga of like elevating and growing wiser um, spiritually, kind of coming out of some dark ages. And we're getting towards the end because they say that that Dwapara yuga ends in like year 2082. So being in 2020, a little bit more time before the end of this current yuga, which has already been a 2400 year period. So kind of neat to be in that, that phase. You can Google that and find a lot more information if you're interested in learning more about the yugas. Um, All right, so let's move to chapter 17, which is Sasi and the Three Sapphires, which is a chapter I've just been mentioning. So um, 
the father of Mukunda's friend Santosh is a confirmed wait, is this correct? Yeah, a confirmed agnostic who wants to take a cynical look at Yukteswar. And um, Yukteswar tells Mukunda later that Dr. Roy is a dead man. Is this the right chapter? I think it is. I'm just going to keep going. I guess it's correct. Just like, okay, yeah, it is. Um, and has only six weeks to live, but he extends his life another six months saying if the doctor wears these astrology, uh, astrological bangles and stops eating meat, his life may continue. And the doctor, who's a veterinarian, refuses to wear the ba bracelet after he falls ill and recovers. Um, then he, he recovers after wearing the bangle and then he starts eating meat, even though he was told not to eat meat. And then he suddenly dies. Um, so Yukteswar had predicted all of this. Um, and it's, we see these uh, things again and again in the story of like someone who goes through this, like, it's like proof, like he predicted you were going to get ill. And then he predicted you'd get better if you put on this bangle. And then you get better. And then he predicted you'll die if you're eating meat, but he still eats meat. And it's like, um, our human nature is funny in just discrediting a lot of miraculous things and ignoring the signs. So we see that over and over again in this um, book. And then Yukteswar tells a devotee named Sasi to obtain a two carat sapphire to help him overcome his wild and undisciplined life. Um, Sasi doesn't heed his advice, but a year later appeared with three sapphires as the master had predicted because he has pulmonary tuberculosis. So he sends Sasi away and tells him to wear a bangle and assures him he will recover. And on the edge of death, Sasi is visited astrally by Yukteswar and he's miraculously healed. Um, I feel like I left something out here in my, I feel like Sasi then didn't even follow through with becoming like a disciple of Yukteswar, right? He he kind of like felt guilty for not like following through in the first place and, and stayed distant, e distant even after being miraculously healed. So um, interesting choice. Cause you'd like to think if you went through some kind of miracle like that, you would be like convinced and like, yes, that's what I need is this miracle. And I'm like going to be devoted, but maybe not because we see examples over and over again of people that get these healings and experiences, but then, you know, their human nature just draws them back into, um, draws them back into uh, their life. So Makunda then goes and um, studies at the college and I think in this part, he, he said something about just kind of like flipping to random pages and studying random pages um, and astonishingly still passing his exams. Um, and then he wants to be closer and Yukteswar manages to get the president of the college that's closer to the Hermitage to raise sufficient funds for this four-year course so that Mukunda can finish his degree nearby, um, closer to his master. So he doesn't have to be on the train so often. Um, a little note I had made at the bottom of my notes here, um, just about the, the bodies. So we have the astral body, causal body, the physical body. So I was trying to explain in that chapter. Um, when the physical body is not healthy, it affects our astral nervous system, which are like 
our, our meridians and our nadis and the way our prana is functioning and flowing through chakras. Um, so if you work to heal on a physical level, you can affect your astral health, resume a harmonious flow. So that's like, if you're experiencing, you know, symptoms of not being well and you are correcting your diet, then that could have an impact on your physical and your astral health. Your energy will start to flow better when you change your diet, but also it works the other way around. So work on your astral body and the physical body will then respond. So working on the astral body would be things like um, pranayama, breathing practices, meditation, acupuncture, Reiki, etc. Um, in order to stimulate the physical body. So a little explanation on that. And let's see if I had anything else on this. So one thing I did make a note about that I liked to read, wanted to read to you was about how um, a master can see where in our energy body or physical body we're not experiencing balance and can instantly restore us to health. So that would be an example of like Jesus Christ or what like Sri Yukteswar can do or Sri um, Lahiri Mahasaya. Um, they are using God's ability to heal. Um, but one thing that I was taught throughout this and also through my own Reiki practice too, is that the person that you're working on must also be receptive. So there must be a receptivity um, with that healing. So, you know, even if you were to heal someone or a master were to heal you, if you're not receptive and you're just not in that space to receive the healing, you might have a temporary healing, but then just go back to normal or it might not even have an effect on you. So it's kind of like um, that receptivity is important. If you have 0% faith and 0% receptivity, um, it's going to take a pretty strong, powerful master to make a change in you. Um, so that goes also for like Reiki. Some of you have done Reiki trainings with me when you're working on someone, um, you'll know when you're working on someone either distantly or in person, that is absolutely not receptive to you. Um, you can feel it and they just won't come back because they didn't get anything. And it's not necessarily that it's you, it's the receptivity of your client or the person that you're working on. Um, See if I have anything else to say. Did you guys have any other highlights from this chapter? I'm going to flip through my own and see if there's anything I wanted to mention besides that. Help me. I think that kind of brings me into chapter 18. These, these were easy chapters, weren't they, compared to like last week's long chapters. These were pretty quick reads. Um, I apologize. I'm just listening today because I had a test for work this morning, so I was studying all week for that. So I'm behind. So I'm oh, just yeah. going to listen and take notes. Yeah, just listen in, <laughs> take your notes. Perfect. That's totally fine. Um, all right. So I'd say the 
I, I forgot to mention kind of like the gist or the theme of each chapter. So I'd say the theme for chapter six, and you guys can chime in too if you, um, if you feel, is bringing in fate a little bit, talking about fate and how you're not tied to it and just being a little suspicious of anybody that comes and tells you that they can read the stars perfectly and gives you um, predictions that um, if they're saying like, there's no way that that's changeable or alterable, just knowing that according to you know, our understanding of this book, that our fate is always adjustable. We can always manipulate it. We can use our willpower. We can use the tools we have of um, balancing our energies. We can use meditation. We can use prayer um, to manipulate what maybe our fate is. And also knowing that the masters have said kind of don't buy into it too much. Don't don't think that you can figure everything out by looking to the stars because it's such a massive, uh, confusing uh, thing that you'd have to be very advanced in order to read it properly and understand it. Um, so I'd say that's a theme of chapter 16 is fate. And then in chapter 17, Saucy and the Three Sapphires... What do you guys think for chapter 17? What would you take away from that? This is the chapter of Saucy um, not listening to Sri Yukteswar's guidance on the, the sapphires, getting sick, and then also the doctor who came very belligerent to wearing a bangle until it was too late, and then once healed, going back to eating meat only to then drop dead as he'd been predicted to um, do. I thought that was something to do with faith, but trusting faith um, and accepting what you have, the, the gratitude. Um, mm -hmm. I guess their mortality took over or their um, selfishness took over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Everyone that had something given to them. And I think also another thing is you notice that in these chapters, like they're bringing these people to the master. They're not like actual seekers, right? These people didn't like go like Makunda searching for their guru. He's not like they're, they're non, they're kind of like not really believing in it. They're critical of, of the bangles. They're suspicious. They're like, what is this? And it's kind of showing that, um, like Sri Yukteswar says, when they bring Dr. Roy to him, like, why bring a dead man to my ash ashram? Um, that's what he says at first. Um, and he's like, sir, the doctor is alive. He's like, you know, soon he'll be a dead man. But I also felt like when he brought that doctor, it was kind of like, why are you bringing the skeptic to me? Like, he's not seeking me out. It's not part of his path to evolve to that degree that he would seek me out. So what's the point? And so does that make sense? Kind of like bringing people uh -huh. to it that aren't ready for it sort of? Yeah. Yes. And if you look at 
181, it says, if the ignoramus misread the heavens and see there is a scroll instead of a script, that is mm. to be expected of this imperfect world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I think kind of those two chapters kind of like have a lot of similar themes kind of happening and just, and I see it too, like I said, with Reiki, but also in yoga, like a lot of people that are doing yoga with me for a while, they bring friends, but I feel like they're kind of dragging them into the studio. They're just not really like seeking it. It's not part of their path at that time. And a lot of times I don't see those people again, like they come, they seem to have a good experience, but they're not drawn to it the way that some people are drawn to that experience. And it's like, you just can't shove things down people's throat, you know? So, um, and even if they are shown something amazing and they have an experience, you know, with a guru or in yoga or in meditation or with Reiki, it doesn't mean that they're going to return to it again because it's just not part of their, uh, their journey in this lifetime. So that's kind of what I took from that one. Right. Or just the entry of the exposure to something they haven't connected mm -hmm. because we see that with him, how he keeps fighting everything his master tells him. He still, True. he still challenges. Right. Yep. So I, I just say that for me. So there's still hope for me. That's what I oh, Yeah, myself. there's still hope <laughs> for all of us. All right. So chapter 18 all right, so this chapter is a good one. Let's see. So Yukteswar is telling a story of a wonder worker who was present many years ago in the same dorm where Mukunda is now living. So a little coincidence or not. Um, a young man named Avsal um, brought water to a yogi who taught him how to take command over one of the invisible realms. The yogi warns him, though, not to perpetuate negative karma. And Avsal perfects his yogic exercise that's taught to him by this yogi for 20 years, uh, working miracles by making things vanish and reappear. So he's developed this skill, this magical power. But he begins to use his powers for his own gain and um, employed an unseen helper named Hazrat, to steal jewels and train tickets for him. Uh, Yukteswar was young at the time and watched the fakir call on the invisible Hazrat to amaze and astonish people as their belongings appeared and disappeared. So Afzal was um, a spiritually unevolved uh, person. Um, and when he finally inadvertently stole his guru's ball of gold, remember he he mistook this guru as an old man and he stole his gold. Um, he realized that, oh my gosh, this is the guru that gave me this skill 20 or more years ago. He begged for penance and admitted his wrong and his egotism. And his ability to call on Hazrat vanished except for getting clothing and food. Um, and then his life was spent then seeking forgiveness and divine understanding in the mountains of the Himalayas. So kind of an interesting story about um, him developing, I guess, kind of a relationship with a spirit, kind of a, um, a being who didn't 
so th this book also talks kind of like what we would call ghosts and Hazrat would be considered for some of you that call them ghosts or spirit, basically a, an, uh, a lower vibration being who is still on the planet that doesn't have a body. So it's an astral being who obviously is invisible to us, but has the astral astral aspect to him. So um, what I was taught, through this course I did with souls in a lower astral plane, they're still desiring the sensory experience of being on the planet of being on this plane. And um, for some reason, my teacher called them tramp souls, uh, T-R-A-M-P, tramp souls. Um, they want a human body. They're sense junkies. They vibrate at a low vibratory rate and they can possess bodies of someone who's weak willed um, and can be, a presence um, in this plane. So I think there was um, a discussion we had in the room. This was like a hot topic. Everybody wanted to talk about ghosts, but um, he said that at one point, Yogananda later on in his um, Encinitas Hermitage said something like, if you could see how many, you know, spirits are, are around us all the time, you wouldn't be scared. Like they're just, they're everywhere. The energies are everywhere. Like it's not, something to be fearful of, but you don't want to be weak willed either. Um, and buy into, you know, don't go playing with Ouija boards and like trying to engage, <laughs> but basically that just be respectful and know that they're there and, and, and that it's a real plane of existence that these sense beings or sense, um, uh, tramp souls is what he called them do exist. So that's a definition of what Hazrat is. And so is it like a bad thing? Like a bad thing? Or um, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would say good or bad from my understanding, it's a lower vibration. So um, later on in the book, we get a better description. I'll try my best to summarize it right now, um, just without reviewing it for some time. But basically, all of us are on a different path in this lifetime and vibrating at kind of a different frequency of or evolution. So when we die, our physical body is left behind, but our astral being goes to um, what we can just call heaven for now, we'll just call it heaven. But heaven is actually, according to this book, divided into different levels. So the more higher evolved beings that lose their physical body will go to a higher vibrationary heaven. Whereas someone who maybe was on a lower vibration in this lifetime, maybe someone who um, did bad things in their life or hurt others, or were just very ignorant, not in a bad way, ignorant, but very like, um, not as advanced or conscious or awake or aware um, would go to a lower vibration. And so the description that my teacher gave us was basically that those lower conscious beings kind of like, do you remember like the sixth sense where those beings like didn't even know they were dead or they were just really attached to being in this realm, they had what they thought was unfinished business to do here and they were stuck here and they wouldn't go to where they needed to go. Those beings are the ones that are still around. Not that they're necessarily bad. They're just um, haven't evolved to the consciousness that others have where they're willing to go to the, the temporary heavens that they'll go to and then pick up a new body and continue. So it just takes them a little bit longer to reincarnate because their journey is a little bit slower. I guess you could say. 
we had a we had such interesting conversations about this whole topic and even discussions from students that had said like they had or had known people that had near death experiences where they experienced kind of the leaving of their physical body temporarily and um, sort of that astral projection thing where they pull out and they can see their body, but they're not actually in it. And um, there was actually a story, a printout in an article somewhere at the time about a doctor who was a serious, um, what do you call it? Didn't believe in God, did a lot of like bad things in his life. And he had, I think it was like um, appendicitis somewhere when he was traveling and because of the lack of medical help he could get there, he temporarily died on the operating table and experienced himself out of the body and, um, and was being taken to a lower vibration heaven. And he knew what that meant at that time. But then he was brought back into his body. And, and in that second chance of having that glimpse of what's like behind the curtain, changed his whole life around and, and wanted to evolve. So like he was able to have that insight. And if you look into it, there's a lot of stories about people that have had those experiences and it's just changed everything for them because they got a glimpse of what's not so solid. You know, this Maya that we talk about, um, they realize that it's all an illusion and that there's something beyond. So, um, and I know that's a long winded explanation, Yuko, of are they bad? But um, yeah. I wouldn't say bad as much as I'd just say they're just on the path of evolving. Okay, thank you. Anyway, let's see if I have any more notes in my section on this. Um, another mention that I think I want to mention here was um, we've seen this similar thing before um, of someone gaining some skill or some magical powers and then using it for the wrong, right? We saw it with the scent, the guru that could make the scents and make flowers, the smell of flowers. And, and we saw it with the tiger swami. We might've seen it with a few others that I'm not remembering off the top of my head, but um it's just, it's almost like it's just kind of human nature once someone develops these to just kind of have a period of using it wrongly and misusing it just because we have an ego, only to then realize through the misuse of our powers that it didn't serve us in the bigger picture, right? So um, for this particular person that had the... Um, Hazrat, what was his name? Az Afzal. For this person, he, you kind of wonder, like, did he have to go through that in order to learn the lesson, right? Like he, maybe that guru gave him that gift, fully aware that he would misuse the powers and that in 20 something years after misusing, he would be taught this lesson that would then propel him into quicker and faster growth because he had gone through that already. So let's see. All right. Chapter. He was given the power. Go ahead. 
I, I was just, um, Mark, when he was given the power, it was because he had good karma from past lives. Right. That's why he was given the power when he was so young. Yeah, he said, um, he I think the yogi said something like, you possess good karma from former lives. So I'm going to teach you this. So even with as much good karma um, that he had, I think he still said after that, he said, um, I perceive, alas, that you have brought over from the past some seeds of destructive tendencies. Do not allow them to sprout by watering them with fresh evil actions. So the yogi did see that there were some seeds, you know, he wasn't like a fully enlightened being yet. He still had some karmic seeds from a past life. And the yogi's warning him, like, don't water those seeds. Um, I'm going to teach you this yoga technique to evolve you, but you are carrying some karmic seeds. So, you know, maybe, maybe the yoga practice could have eliminated the karma because we've, we did learn that through meditation and through good acts and through yoga, you can mitigate your karma. Maybe he didn't have to, but he, for whatever reason, he needed to water those seeds in order to maybe shed just that last bit of karma that he carried over and who knows what happened to him after this, but maybe he went off to the Himalayas and had, you know, instant enlightenment after this little hiccup along the way. So the next chapter is chapter 19. My master in Calcutta appears in Sarampore. So in chapter 19, Mukunda recalls the doubting remarks of Dijen Babu, his roommate at a college boarding house. Mukunda introduces Dijen to Yukteswar, who initiated him into Kriya Yoga, providing him with peace and inspiration to discover his true self. One afternoon, they learn that their master has gone to Calcutta. And a note instructs Mukunda and Dijen to meet the 9 a.m. train in Sarampore. But Mukunda receives a telepathic message around 8.30 a.m. in the morning telling him, my train is delayed. Yukteswar later appears to him in the flesh telling Mukunda that he will now arrive on the 10 a.m. train. His physical body then melted away and vanished. And as promised, the master was on the 10 a.m. train, appearing as he said he would, like with details and all. He tells Dijen that he sent him a message too, but Dijen was unable to receive it. Um, and then Dijen realizes that spiritually he is still only in kindergarten. <laughs> um, biolocation is a well-known phenomenon in India and can be accomplished only by those who are so attuned with universal energy that they have the ability to manifest their atoms in two places at once. Um, so that's kind of my quick explanation of this chapter and I think at one point I highlighted a little part where you know Dijen um, didn't believe that Mukunda had actually gotten this telepathic message he said well I'd rather just go with the note that you know our guru sent and then only to be proven wrong um, 
But at the end, he says, so master sent me a message, yet you concealed it. I demand an explanation. And then Makunda says, can I help if your mental mirror oscillates with such restlessness that you cannot register our guru's instructions? Um, so I thought that was funny. It's like that mental mirror oscillating with such restlessness is, is exactly what we're all like working with, right? We all have that restlessness and, and maybe there are things that are coming to us and, you know, like impressions, intuitions, messages, but we might not be able to pick them up because our minds are just not at that calm, quiet state. And some of you maybe on this call, but a lot of my teacher trainees who are doing the, you know, I ask you guys to meditate every day. Um, I just recently got a message from one of my trainees that it's been a recurring theme I've noticed for a lot of my trainees is like saying something like you'll be meditating and like in, in the depth of meditation, there's moments where you have clarity on a topic or insight into something, or maybe like sudden inspiration or, or like the urge to create something comes up and you have like a really good inspired idea. And then when you come out of meditation, assuming you'll be able to recall it for whatever reason, it's harder to remember. You know, there was something there, but like, it's not as clear as you had expected it to be in as it had been been in the moment of meditation. And, and what I attribute that a little bit to is just like in that clearing of your mind through meditation, at some point, you have a moment where that mental mirror that's oscillating with restlessness, it slows down or stops momentarily. And you can receive impressions from your higher self or guidance or messages or whatever. Um, and that's what that is. But as soon as you come back out and your mind starts moving again and the chitter chatter st starts, maybe it's hard to re-access or um, pull up those impressions again. Has that happened to anybody through meditation before? Kind of like having a moment of like understanding a concept or a question being answered or what happens to me a lot is like, um, I get inspired to like do things like, for example, this course, I'll think like, oh, I should totally lead this thing and do it this way. And then I'll come out of it and be like, wait, what was that I was thinking of? It was such a good idea. It was so brilliant, but it's already gone. It's like, I can't really get back to it as easily. Nobody? Nobody's had that? Oh, we got no, to meditate a little more. Okay, okay. For me, okay, it's not I, meditation. I think like yeah, uh, Katie said, I need to meditate more. But uh -huh. I had it when when I'm taking your yoga class and then you're reading some phrases or some, you know, quotation and I'm like, aha moment. But then after mm -hmm. Savasana, Savasana pose, I was like, what was it? You know, I, I was like, yeah. I feel like, oh, I should have had a notebook and pen with me at the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I kind of experience that I had. Yeah. Sometimes mm -hmm. people ask me, like, what do you do if you have? And I've, I've even said, like, if it happens a lot or if you want, you could try having a notepad nearby and, like, take sure. a note. But at the same time, I feel like that kind of takes me out of the place right. I'm at if I'm going to stop and write something down. And so... I'm kind of at odds with that solution just because I feel like it would interrupt that just natural process. And if it's meant to come back to you, it will. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I find yeah. that too. It's like a, 
when the moments happen, sometimes they accumulate like on top of each other. So I think of them as little seeds that are planted. And then if something is to happen, it kind of accumulates and eventually it makes sense in that one sitting. But I totally understand what you're saying about little things kind of coming up and then maybe you can't realize them at the end of it. But the ones, sometimes they do reoccur, right? And then you're able to piece mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I, um, yeah, it's happened to me too. And I try to remember and then while I'm in it, it's like, okay, I'm going to remember it. But yeah, a minute I come out and my eyes are open and it's like, okay, I, I remember. And then it's just like, and then it goes. <laughs> it's like, oh, mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. All right. So we're already on chapter 20. This is going to be a quick one. Um, so chapter 20 Mukunda has asked his father several times for rail passes and money to go to the Himalayas with Yukteswar. And each time Yukteswar has chosen not to go. Um, feeling sure that he'll go on this time, Mukunda convinces his father um, to go along. And gathering a small group for the trip, Yukteswar refuses to go. Um, having lost the company of the master as well as his servant, Mukunda tries to get another servant named Bihari to go. Um, Bihari disappears, confirming the master's prediction that he would not go either. And now Mukunda goes to his uncle to employ the servant. He's just having a really hard time, like getting this, this trip together. Um, asks his uncle if he can have his uncle's servant. And his uncle, I guess, has like an unexpected explosion of anger and says, you're so selfish to want to take my servant on your pleasure trip. And he says, no, you can't have my servant. Um, and Mukunda knows he's working against his master's will at this point. Um, his friends depart on the trip, but he stays behind at Yukteswar's feet. And suddenly, all of a sudden, Mukunda falls very ill and he has cholera. He just randomly just gets Asiatic cholera. And um, explaining Yukteswar's subtle intervention in the plan, having come close to death, Mukunda recovers and his friends return, initially angry that he did not meet them in Calcutta at the train station. Mukunda realized that he had been trying to get to the Himalayas since he was 12, but he will never be received there without his master's blessing. So he's kind, finally come to terms that he needs his master's blessing to go. And there's too many unexplained events occurred in this chapter for Mukunda to believe it to be a coincidence. Um, Yukteswar seems to be looking out for him on an astral level at all times. Um, and he gets better, obviously, from Yukteswar heals him. But it seems that he had just been constantly having trouble in getting to the Himalayas and just hitting one roadblock after the other and not really surrendering. And when he got sick, Yukteswar said something like, what would you have done? You would have been far away from me when you got sick. Like, that wouldn't have been good. And um, you know, like, I think this chapter kind of is like, follow the signs a little bit is what it says to me. Um, when things are just not working out and you're just pushing, pushing, pushing and fighting against the grain, um, for something that you want, maybe it's because it's not meant for you, or maybe there's a bigger reason why it's not working out for you. And I always think about these things like, um, you know, like when, when you're, you got to go somewhere and then you can't find your keys for like 20 minutes and you were really irritated and frustrated. At least I get really irritated and frustrated when I can't find my keys, but like, 
sometimes I think, well, you know, maybe there was a reason that my drive was delayed. It put me on a different track and a different trajectory. And I just got to like trust the universe. And, and that could be said of like big and small things. I, my, um, my stepmother um, missed a flight out of Mexico when she was 16 because her best friend wanted to go for another ride on a parasail. And she was mad because her friend went for the second ride at parasailing in Mexico and caused them to miss the flight while the plane crashed and everybody died on the plane. And so, you know, she has also this like thought of like, well, I'm just going to trust the universe. Like when things are guiding me one way and there's nothing I can do about it, like maybe there's a reason and we don't always get that, uh, we don't always get to see like what the alternative could have been, but you know, if I can't find my keys for 20 minutes, it's not like I'm going to leave my house and see a car wreck right outside that I could have been part of or anything, but um, there's a, like a degree of faith and just trusting the process a little bit. And, um, and that was kind of like my lesson out of this chapter. Do you guys have anything to add or any thoughts about chapter 20? Um, that kind of confuses me because one side it says faith can be changed and then the one side you know you trust the universe so I really don't know which way you know mm -hmm. is it telling me go or not to go no well you know? and you won't know yeah you I don't think that's know. the tricky part you just you won't know there's no way of knowing um you know and that's the challenging part. You cannot really figure it all out. You can't figure out your karmas. You can't figure out where a specific karma came from. It'll just make you crazy. You can't listen to your stars because you have free will and that can change. So, yeah, I mean, that's the struggle in just being in this illusion of a life is that, you know, like which way to turn at any given time. But I think what it comes down to often is, um, is in surrender and faith and trust because when you wrap yourself up in everything else that's when you get uncomfortable and um, and I feel like it steers us away from our peaceful center so I mean as hard as it is to stay calm in some situations but um, I mean even in the situation we're all in right now we're like we're being told how to live and where to be and we can't leave our houses and we can't do this and we can't do that. And we have to do this. And, you know, our jobs are, you know, not this way they used to be and our work isn't the way it used to be. And we can't socialize the way we used to socialize. And I don't know, like how much of it do you resist and how much of it do you just kind of have to move with the process too. So See if I have any other highlights. Anybody have any thoughts on this last chapter that you want to close with? After I read this, this chapter, I don't know if, if it was just easy reading these last five chapters, but I thought, what a beautiful life to write and share. How many years ago? Um, being told you're going to write a book for those <laughs> over here, those at the West, 
and just, um, you know, just creating little sparks of interest in people and just changing. I mean, I can see that I've changed since I started reading this. And um, I don't know if it's anxious of wanting to finish the book so I can go back and reread it so mm -hmm. that a lot of the information, it will become clearer to me, mm. you know, so. Yeah, I kind of, I've, but that, that's what after reading this chapter, just what a beautiful read and, you know, you sharing the book and him sharing his writings. Yeah, I think it is, it is neat that he has all of these little stories and these little tidbits for us. And each one, I mean, if you read into it, you can find a lesson for yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's why I like to stop and be like, okay, what's the lesson in this one? And what's the lesson in that one? And, and I, I don't know, it's, it's kind of um, canny the way that they show up. Like as soon as I read this chapter, I'll probably go out for the rest of my weekend and come up against some kind of resistance to something that is, that can't be changed. And I'll probably think like, okay, well, remember what I just read, you know? And so it is nice to have these little stories from this master that are still kind of applicable in their own ways to our modern life too. But yeah. All right. So chapter 21 is the chapter that we're on and we'll read chapter 21 to chapter 25. Let's see how many pages that looks like. Oh, it's not too bad. Yeah. 21 to 25. So it's about from 218 to 256 for me. Not too bad. Um, so do that this week and come back with comments, questions, highlights, everything, all that good stuff. Thank you guys for always participating and um, speaking up in these because it really helps guide the whole process. As I mentioned, this is my first time doing a book club. So I need all of your inputs during the class and it definitely helps me. So Thank you, and have a great rest of your week, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.